Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Stubby Up edition, as we take a look at the first several days of training camp. Coming up, I'll talk to my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, about a topsy-turvy first week of practice under new head coach, Zach Taylor. We'll discuss A.J. Green's injury and what it means to the Bengals' offense, take a look at a few players who have stood out in the early going, and discuss Coach Taylor's approach to trying to keep the team as fresh and as healthy as possible leading up to the regular season opener in Seattle. And in this week's Fun Facts conversation, you'll get to know one of the best special teams coaches in the NFL, Darren Simmons. We'll discuss a wide variety of topics, including his playing career as a college quarterback and punter, his favorite special teams play in 16 years as a Bengals coach, and his ultimate goal of becoming a head coach. Those conversations are straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since YouTube how-to videos. I am ashamed to admit that I am probably the world's least handy person. Other than changing a light bulb or filling my gas tank, I'm basically useless. But I'm getting a little better thanks to the numerous how-to videos you can find on YouTube. For example, this week, I replaced the watch band on my running watch. Now, that might sound pretty rudimentary to you, but trust me, it was a borderline miracle. Now time for football as I bring in my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, quite a first week for new head coach Zach Taylor. In his first practice as the Bengals head coach, A.J. Green goes down about 45 minutes into practice. The first day that the Bengals are supposed to be in full pads, it gets canceled due to lightning. He has, quote-unquote, weathered the storm pretty well, I think. <laughs> I, think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's uh, one thing about him that, I felt like after meeting him on and off the field as such is that he was steady, very steady personality-wise, and I think it's pretty much born fruit there. You know, I think he's he's had a couple of howitzers thrown at him, and he just you know just shucks them like like it's no problem, which I think is a good sign. Um, you know, he doesn't get flustered easily. I think that's going to be a good good uh, indicator of his temperament during the course of a game. I think he'll keep his cool and uh, and stay level-headed and and be able to make good, solid decisions because you know he won't be emoting as such. So I, I think those are those are all good signs. I you know AJ Green is just so unfortunate. I've had a chance to talk to him a little bit, and he's he was just so you know for AJ he was as down as I've seen him in that he said you know Lap I used to, I never got hurt. Now all of a sudden the last three years it just seems to be a an injury bugaboo, and uh, he was—he was definitely, you know, sad's not the word for it. It was—it was even sadder than sad. But uh, then I saw him a, a day later, and he was already his spirits were already, you know, uh, starting to bounce back. So I think he is a quick healer. You know, I think he will scar, which has to happen, you know, after injuries and after surgery, if there's ligament tears, and you know, the problem with those, those kind of things is when you have an injury in a joint, you know, there's so many things in there. Uh, there's bone, there's ligament, there's tendons, there's sheaths around the tendons and ligaments, and all of those things can be messed up. There's a lot of soft tissue and a lot of things that, uh, and the soft tissue can affect the bone. There can be bone chips and 
all these particulars in there. I mean, over the years, I've I've had some injury, and teammates of mine have had injury, and you know, you just get to learn to realize that sometimes until you get in there as such, which is I think it's a wise thing that they did. You don't really know what you're looking at, and MRIs are great. Uh, don't get me wrong; well, I never had an MRI. I don't even know what an MRI would would feel like. Uh, I guess it doesn't feel like much of anything, but you know the pictures are very, very clear. So I think based on those pictures, I think they decided they better go in there and, and uh, make sure that everything's uh, everything's hunky dory as such. And hopefully he'll be he'll be back sooner rather than later because that's a that's a huge huge piece of an offense to miss for sure. He had surgery on Tuesday. Zach Taylor said later that day that he's likely to miss at least the first two games of the regular season. Do you think that that is an optimistic timetable for how quickly he could be back? You know, I, I, I hope it's uh, I hope it's on the on the long end. You know, I mean, I, there, there's no way he's going to be around for the open. I, I, to me, I, in a perfect not a perfect world, but a, a, a perfect world based on the the world we're in right now, which is not a perfect world with the injury. If they could get him back for the Steeler game, week four, week four. And last game of September, Monday Night Football, national television, big, uh, you know, a big game against a division rival, a hated division rival. If A.J. Green could come back and play in that game, that would be a, a shot of juice that this team would be, you know, it would be unbelievable. It's like getting a not just a first-round pick, you're getting a future Hall of Famer, you know, back as a weapon. Uh, that that would be a nice, a nice component to have in that game. That's going to be a tough game going on the road and playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers under the lights uh, and, and with that crowd and everything that goes along with it. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's unfortunate. The, the thing the thing that, you know, I look at it when I think, okay, you're going to miss him for regular season games, potentially, you know, two or three games, maybe four. Okay, now you can put another guy in the box because there's not a weapon that you have to maybe worry about with, with doubling. So if you really want to run the football like this team does, all of a sudden – you know, it's like the hands washing the other hand. AJ, the teams try to take him out of the football game. The only way to do it is to put a couple of guys on him. So now, not having to worry about that, you might be able to load the box up a little bit more regularly. Now it's tougher for Joe Mixon. He's got to make the unblock guy miss all the time. Um, it just becomes, you know, in, in the National Football League, the biggest commodity you can have is space. And you try to create space. You try to make the defense defend every blade of grass you can. And if you've got A.J. and John Ross and all these components of your offense healthy and you can spread the field out and stretch them horizontally by formation, then stretch them vertically by speed, by foot speed, you know, you, you got a dynamic there. But if A.J.'s not in the mix and John Ross isn't in the mix yet, but he, hopefully he should be, you know, by the regular season, that's why if Malone shows he can play, he can run. I mean, he can stretch it. John Ross can stretch it. You know, A.J. can stretch it. And now you're having to defend, again, horizontally and vertically. It wouldn't shock me, though, Dan, if instead of 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end, maybe go some 12 personnel. Because you've got seven tight ends in camp. I think four of them are going to make the football team. And, you know, that'll help Darren Simmons as well. Uh, Dar- because, you know, it's, you know, other than Tyler Eifert, every other tight end that's on the football team could help in, in a special teams play. Plus the fact that, you know, all of them have different skill set. Some are better blockers, some are better receivers, some can do both. Tyler Eifert, you know, can do both. But, I mean, when he's on the field, they went nickel last year, whether he was on the field alone or he was on the field as a, as a second tight end. So 
at least if you go 12 personnel, you might get them in base defense and be able to balance them up so that you can take away some of the, uh, the funk that they might be doing. You know, put a tight end on either side of the line of scrimmage, you make them balance up. Now all of a sudden it, it's a, you have a base defense that's balanced up and it's a, it's a different picture. So, I mean, there's a lot of things you can do. They're not hamstrung necessarily by losing a wide receiver with respect to what they can do offensively, personnel-wise, formations, all the things they're going to do. But when it's A.J. Green, I mean, that guy, there's not, there's not very many guys, if any in the league, honestly, that can do all the things he can do. I mean, he's got speed, quickness, his jackhammer feet on that sideline, eye-hand coordination. I mean, he does. We've seen him in practice do things that are out of this world. They're crazy. You just can't replace that. There's no good time to lose A.J. Green, that we know. But if it had to happen, I would think first day of camp would be the best time for two reasons. One, it gives him the chance to come back sooner in the regular season and not miss many games. But secondly, Andy Dalton and A.J. Green have been doing this forever. They've got chemistry, and the offense is different, so the routes are a little bit different. But at least they've got that history, that shared history. If you're trying to get other wide receivers ready to play and contribute, then all this additional time at camp will be good for them. Agreed. I think I think you're running the money on both points. I think that AJ Green is such a ridiculous physical freak of nature that he'll heal quickly, and he won't need a whole lot of practice to ramp up to a high level. Maybe not as high a level as AJ can be, but it's still a higher level than your average wide receiver around the National Football League. So you look at that, I mean, Julio Jones is saying he's not going to play a preseason snap. I'd, I'd venture to say Antonio Brown's not going to play much in the preseason. All these elite wide receivers aren't going to play in preseason games anyway and take a chance on losing these guys they're paying $15, $20 million a year to. So A.J. Green... I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were going to limit his snaps in preseason games anyway, but practice repetition and all those things you're talking about are important. But like you said, they've done it for eight years already. So they, they have a lot of that, but it is some different routes. And, and A.J. was talking about getting his nose in the playbook, and he'd missed all the OTAs and the mini camps and all that, so he wanted to get that part of it, the study part of it, and then translating it to the football field. And he's a rep guy. A.J. likes to have reps on the practice field. So with, with those diminished, you know, there's, there's a little bit of catching up to do there. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how, how it all plays out. But um, I, I do think I, – I like I, – I again, looking at the very first workout today, Dan, uh, in pads, man, I mean, you know, tight ends are motion and whamming those, you know, defensive tackles and it's a play-action pass over that, pass, pass in the middle of the football field, you know, a receiver's wide open. Uh, quarterbacks are changing the launch point, you know, both ways, rolling right, rolling left. Linemen are pulling. Uh, receivers are, you know, in, in tight formations. The splits are tight to the formation. Then they're wide, and then they're motioning, and then jet sweep motion and motion back the other way. And there's a there's a lot going on. And then you'll see the defenses. I mean, basically, the, the, a lot of these motions and everything will change the strength of the formation. Defensive linemen will be shifting. Linebackers will be – everybody's communicating shifting. If you do this stuff at the end of the uh, play clock – I mean, there's a chance. There's a, the, in my mind, the later you do something like that, the higher the risk of them somebody not getting the line properly. Maybe you'll catch them not. They're moving. They're not even in their stance, or they're lined up improperly, or whatever. So I, I like a lot of the things that they're doing. I think it, it stresses the defense. I think there's there's a lot of things that, uh, that that are positive there. And man, they ran. 
the first uh, team period, they ran 15 plays in like seven minutes. I mean, they were, they were boom, they were getting reps. When I went and watched the pass rush drill, they were getting reps. I mean, you know, there was no standing around and talking about every fine point and doing all this coaching, and guys are, are not working, you know. Uh, they'll, they'll coach them, but they'll coach them on the run, and next guy's up, and it's, I mean, boy, I'll tell you what. Coach uh, Turner and Coach Easton got got a lot of reps in the pass rush, more more than I've seen. So I like the tempo of everything they're doing, and I think that's going to translate, you know, out on the football field and and defensively, you know, they continue to to impress. I mean, they, they continue to understand what Coach Lou wants done and how he wants it done, and 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 they're responding. I mean, I think I think that um, you know, again, this is the first padded workout, but like we talked about after the first practice. Uh, on Bengals.com, um, it's it's it happens every year. Even if you've played a number of years, when you're anchoring your pads, the other thing you have to do is lower your pads. And there's two ways to lower your pads. You can bend your knees to lower your pads, and that's the football functional way to do it. Or you can bend at your waist and lower your pads, and that's not the good way to do it because you you know you don't have flexion in your knees. You're bending at your waist. Your chin's over your skis, over your feet. You're out of balance. But if you're bending at the knees properly and you're in it's still a good football, powerful, striking position, that's a good way to lower your pads. And I saw some bending at the waist instead of bending at the knees. And that's just a, you know, repetition breeds comfort level with guys. And that as well, the more you do it, the easier, you know, it's muscle memory stuff and get back to doing that. So I, that, that'll ramp up quickly. And, um, you know, but that's, that's something that's noticeable every, every year when training camp starts, first padded practice couple of lineup nuggets from the first padded practice. Number one, Christian Westerman was in there with the ones at the left guard position after John Jerry was the first left guard when they opened camp in Dayton last uh, Saturday. And Ryan Glasgow lined up as one of the starting defensive linemen. Uh, he was rota- rotating in there quite a bit with Andrew Billings at the defensive tackle spot next to uh, Geno Atkins. But Ryan Glasgow was the first guy out there coming off his knee injury. Yeah, no, the good things to see. Uh, Ryan Glasgow, I thought, uh, you know, he, he's a he's a slug old man. He'll just go in there and maul with you. And uh, he, he's just – he is a – a blue collar, lunch pail, all the cliche you want, football player. Love the guy. <laughs> Love the effort he gives. Football means something to him. Means a lot to that guy. Means a lot to his family. And they, that's, a, that's another football family of brothers and dads and, you know, everybody's played. So um, it was good to see him back in there slugging it out. The other guy that I thought looked good was Carl Lawson coming off the edge. I wanted to see in pads what, what did his first step look like was there some explosion? What was that takeoff looking like? And it was looking pretty good, pretty good for the first you know time in padded practice. So I thought those two guys, uh, it was good to see them get out there and and uh, and show something, and and show that their rehab has gone well and they're ramping up, tracking up in the right direction. Starting center Billy Price hasn't practiced yet. It sounds like he's going to be back any day now, so that's good news. In the meantime, Trey Hopkins has been the number one center. No surprise there. But rookie Michael Jordan was the guy getting the uh, second team reps at the center position in that padded practice on Wednesday. Yeah, Michael Michael Jordan and Brian Lundblade have kind of like you know rotated a little bit between the center and guard spot, and um, you know that's that's both of them have to show that they can play both of those positions if they're going to make the football team. And uh, Michael Jordan played center at Ohio State and played guard at Ohio State and even could play tackle in an emergency up there. So, you know, he's got that position versatility. And like we've talked about a few times, whoever makes the team, if, if they don't have a starting spot, 
not just two positions, not just like center and right guard, center, right guard, left guard. You have to show that you can you can play multiple positions because they. Uh, that's why Trey Hopkins has a big advantage uh, because he's so smart. He understands them all uh, assignment wise, and he's shown he can play them. So he's got an inside track, you know, on being an extra lineman if he doesn't get a starting position. Well, they want to find out what other linemen can play, not just two, but three of the five spots potentially. Um, in a, you know, worst case scenario, you, you, you can't have a guy who's not a starter being just a backup center or just a backup right guard, but he can't play center or left guard. You just can't do that in today's NFL. You don't carry that many guys. So, you know, I think they'll be moving guys around and taking a look-see. And uh, I, you, I, I bet we'll see some guys out there, particularly in preseason games, you know, kicking out there to the tackle position. It's like, hmm, no, that's interesting. You know, I guess they want to see if he could do that in a pinch to finish a game or whatever. So there'll be some experimentation for sure. I thought the most disruptive defensive lineman in the first padded practice was Sam Hubbard moving into the starting lineup in Michael Johnson's old spot. And I think he's poised to have a really big second season in the NFL. Love him. Love everything about the guy because, uh, you know, his work ethic is unbelievable. I mean, he gets up the football field with pressure and then just dead sprints back to wherever the football is. I mean, that guy, um, the GPS tracker on him, I'd like to see for a defensive lineman, I bet his miles per hour, I bet he's ro- he's rolling up there at a significant rate running. He's, he can run, man. He's got some speed. And he's busting it. He's busting. He's putting some miles on. I mean, he's, he's running a good distance, and he's running at a high rate of speed. So just his work ethic, his hustle. And, um, you know, we've seen – we saw him as a rookie uh, be involved in a takeaway touchdown. That's because of his practice habits of, you know, running to the ball. You know, he'll pressure the quarterback if the ball – he'll run to where the ball is, and if one of his teammates makes a play and the ball's on the ground, he's, he's in prime position to do something with it and about it. So I, everything that he does – is is at a high high level of intensity and uh i I love sam hubbard and he can there's another guy that can you know he's shown he can play defensive end he's shown he can slide inside the nickel and pass rush in there they used him as a defensive tackle in the regular you know as a three technique in some uh, instances last year as a rookie you know due to injury that's not his forte but he's shown he can do it so he's got position versatility as well after that first padded practice, Zach Taylor said the offense won early, the defense won late. It was interesting to watch new defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo early when the offense was dominating. He was almost Mike Zimmer-esque in the way he was lighting up the defensive players. Finish! Blank, blank, blank. Finish! Finish every play. I mean, he was... A lot of blank, oh, blank, yeah, blank. A lot of blank, blank, blanks. And, and, you know, it was like, okay, no, that's good. I mean, hard coach him. It's... You know the communication wasn't there. There were there were some mistakes, and then play like like he was saying. You know there were missed tackles and not in position to make plays. And and uh, they they flipped the, they flipped the switch, man. They turned it and and turned the uh, turned their fortunes around. And the next three periods that were scoring periods, the defense dominated. Won at eighteen to three. Uh, big reason for that big a margin is missed field goals, makeable field goals. I mean, one drive started from the 35-yard line. There was some yards gained and missed a field goal. Missed another field goal in the red zone, and each kicker missed one of them. When the offense gets the ball in that favorable field position, defense holds the no points. You know, God bless you, you did a hell of a job. So they want to make sure the defense gets a nice kiss on that because the offense can score touchdowns, and they didn't. They didn't, they didn't, come, they didn't sniff the end zone in those three defensive periods. So... The defensive communication turned it up big time, and then offensively, 
they were they were doing things right early on in those three scoring uh, three competitive scoring um, deals that went on in different stages and situations field position they had some issues with you know targeting the right spot and pass protection there were some free runners uh, so their communication fell apart a little bit and uh, that's 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 what football's all about. It's 11 guys communicating properly on either side of the ball. If you, if there's a, 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 com- a communication lapse, you got issues. Is it as hard for you to believe as it is for me that they'll be playing a game a week from Saturday? <laughs> it is. It is amazing. I mean, you know, they, they can't go to camp now. Uh, just two weeks before that, uh, you know, that first preseason game, and I, I like I like what Zach's doing. Um, you know, and, and weather disrupted it for a little bit. You know, he had the, uh, you know, I, I call it, uh, you know, like workload, uh, handling the workload kind of thing like they do in the NBA. Guys will miss games. Well, Zach had that, that one day where it was like half-speed walkthrough and just getting ready for some contact. And then, um, you know, rain took away one of his contact periods. And I'm a big believer in, you know, these guys work year-round now to stay in pretty good shape. You don't need to kill them. You know, in training camp, you want these guys to be ready to play in the regular season, and um, it's worked for the L.A. Rams. This is what they've done under uh, Sean McVay out there, and uh, Zach Zach's a believer in it, obviously. And and I think uh, I think it'll pay dividends. I mean, gone are the days where you know you get your head smashed in for nine weeks and you couldn't drink water, and you know you just got beaten to death. Those days are long gone, and I lived through some of those, and they weren't fun uh, at all. You know, you, you wonder. Is there something else I can do to make a living? I know there is. Maybe I don't know how long I'm going to do this. Uh, but I, I, I like I like what they're doing. And, and when they go, I think the players appreciate that he's trying to take care of them that way. And when they go, they're, they're doing, like we talked about, the tempo. The best way for football conditioning is that. Because normally you get a bigger break than that. I mean, you know, you'll, you'll go hard and then you'll – you know, depending on how up-tempo your offense is, there's lulls and breaks. He has got them at a very high clip, very high rate between every snap. That's the best way to get your cardio done in football, is doing football, football. you have to perform football acts, football functions in very short uh, recovery periods. And that's the best way to get conditioned for football. And he's conditioning big time for football. You can go and run. You're a distance guy. You know, go out and run. That's, you know, that's one way to condition. But th- then you have to get in football condition where you're, you're pushing and pulling and you're, you know, you're working all the attachments and ligaments and tendons and all, and all your joints and everything. And then you've got to do it again you know, in a very short time frame. So it's a different conditioning for your body and for your cardiovascular. And I think, I think that uh, they've got a pretty good idea with how they're doing it with this work hard two days, recover. Work real hard two days, recover. I like that pattern. The Rams were number four in the NFL last year in fewest starts missed and number one in the NFL two years ago in fewest starts missed by their key players. If Zach Taylor brings anything from Sean McVay and the Rams, let's hope it's a system for keeping guys healthy. Yeah, and and look at uh, two of the veteran offensive linemen, Sullivan and Whitworth, well into their 30s. And, you know, they didn't miss miss games. So, you know, you can play a longer period of time at a higher level by not, you know, getting it taken out of you during the offseason and during training camp, um, as long as you keep yourself in, in, in a good semblance of shape. I mean, if you let yourself get sloppy, you know, in yo-yo, that, that, that's, gonna, that, that's a horse of a different color. That's a different story. 
But if the players understand what the coach is trying to do and the players, you know, be professionals and take care of their bodies, and they can play a longer time at a higher level. And that's what, that's what the whole concept is. Plus, you're making so much money, it's, uh, it's good for the ownership to protect their investment and good for the players to do it as long as they can. I mean, both, all parties benefit. It makes too much sense. That's why beating the hell out of everybody. Of course, nobody was making that kind of money back in, the, in those days, but, you know, that's why, you know, making less than $30,000 a year saying, yeah, man, is it worth all this? And Yeah, I always wanted to do it my whole life, but, man, how many years can I do this? <laughs> Guys don't have to think like that anymore. You got 12. I got 12 altogether, yeah. I was lucky. Knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs>The Bengals' next practice is Friday afternoon from 3 to 5 at the practice fields adjacent to Paul Brown Stadium. Then on Saturday, it's the annual Family Day event at the stadium. The gates open at 2 and practice begins at 3. There will be kid-friendly activities throughout the stadium, prize giveaways, autographs from everybody on the roster after practice, and then, once the players clear the field, you will be allowed onto the playing surface. Everything is free, including parking at the lots next to the stadium. So again, check it out. Family Day, Saturday at Paul Brown Stadium. Now time for this week's Fun Facts segment as we get to know the longest tenured coach on the current staff as he enters his 17th year with the Bengals. Time for some Fun Facts with Bengals Special Teams Coordinator Darren Simmons, a native of... Elkhart, Kansas, down in the southwest corner of the state near Oklahoma and Colorado. Describe your hometown. Very small farming community. Um, 2,100 people. Um, It kind of fluctuates, 21, 2,200 people. Um, Right in the the very southwest corner. I mean, you can't be any further southwest. The uh, uh, city limits to my hometown is Oklahoma State Line. Colorado is about five miles west of us. we're a 2A school um, in the state of Kansas. Kansas has one through uh, 6A. We're a 2A school, so we're on the smaller half. Um, but very, very much a farming community in uh, an oil and gas, uh, uh, you know, crude oil and, and natural gas uh, production is big down there, too. We're doing fun facts with Darren Simmons. Let's talk about your athletic career. You started out at Dodge City Community College in Kansas, and in addition to punting, you played quarterback. Give me a scouting report on Darren Simmons, the quarterback. Well, I went to I went to University of Kansas as a punter, so that gives you some of my uh, uh, background as a quarterback. Now, I, I mean, I uh, I started a couple years um, at uh, Dodge City as as both a quarterback and a punter. Kind of patterned myself after Danny White, you know, with the Cowboys, um, who who did both. Um, so it was kind of a dual threat on fourth down where I draw back to punt. Well, are we going to fake it? Are we going to go for it? I mean, what are we going to do? Are we going to punt it? What are we going to do? Um, but uh, obviously uh, my, my quarterback days were, were limited there because I went on as a punter. So that gives you a little scouting report. All right. And as you mentioned, it was on to Kansas to play for the Jayhawks for your final couple of college seasons. What was it like for a kid from small town Kansas to play for the University of? Well, it was actually really weird because um, – Really, everybody west of Kansas State goes to K-State, and everybody east of Kansas State or Manhattan goes to KU. And uh, I kind of did the flop and went right over the top of Kansas State and went to to Kansas, and and I uh, don't regret that decision one bit. Um, The majority of my graduating class actually went to Kansas State, 
Um, so it would have been a natural thing, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of strayed away from the herd, went to Kansas. Um, Kansas was just coming off a, an Aloha Bowl win uh, over BYU, and they were both obviously poor programs, um, had been historically, um, but they were both on their way up, and I thought Kansas was a little ahead of where Kansas State was at the time, and uh, so I chose to go there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I still go back there and visit a lot. It's on our way home down I-70 um, when we drive back to Kansas in the summertime. So, um, you know, Lawrence is a cool town. Uh, I, I could see living there. Um, it's a really cool small town, but yet it's close enough to Kansas City where you get to still the big city things that come with that. So uh, really, really enjoyed my time at Kansas, and that's where ultimately I met my wife. We're visiting with special teams coordinator Darren Simmons. You chose wisely. Kansas was terrific while you were there. Your senior year, they finished in the top 10 in the country. And in a big win over Oklahoma, you had a 45-yard run on a fake punt. I have seen the footage on YouTube. What do you remember about the play? Well, I remember we'd practiced that play for uh, a long time. And, uh, you know, being a punter, the, you know, if you're going to punt the ball, the one thing that you want to do is when you receive the snap, you want to, want to focus on punting it. But I remember our head coach at the time, Glenn Mason, um, said for this specific play, catch it and then look up to see if they're rushing. If they're rushing, then punt it. If they're not rushing, then take off and run. And uh, which is there's a, that's a lot to do in a short amount of time. But uh, Anyway, obviously, being from Can- where I'm from in Kansas, that Oklahoma game is a huge game because um, I actually probably grew up as a, as a Sooner fan. And I had a bunch of family at that game. And, and uh, it was a, we were down um, pretty big um, throughout that game. There was a couple plays in that game that kind of helped propel us past them. And uh, that was one of them. So, uh, you know, that was obviously a very fun time for me. While you were at Kansas, Roy Williams was the basketball coach. Kansas basketball at the time was terrific, as it still is, obviously, to this day. Did you get to know Roy at all or any of the great basketball players that were there at the time? We did. You know, the uh, the football team and the basketball team were, were actually pretty close at the time. And, and uh, you know, I have nothing but great things, uh, great fond memories of Coach Williams and his time there. He was very, very supportive of our program, um, our football program. You know, we were on the way up at the time. And I think, in fact, my senior year, we were the one of the few teams in history at the time to have a football team playing a bowl game and finishing the top ten. The basketball team makes the final four, and then the baseball team goes to the College World Series, which I think at the time was only like eight teams. Um, so it was a very successful year that year. Um, you know, Coach Williams is a heck of a coach. I think he still has, uh, uh, you know, a lot of ties still still back to Kansas, and, and I think he has fond memories back of the, the people and, and everything that went into that school. So um, he was very supportive of us and a uh, uh, good, good man. We'll do a few more fun facts with Darren Simmons. Let's move on to your coaching career. You had an uncle with NFL ties, correct? Yeah, I did. Um, uh, my dad's brother, Jerry Simmons, was a uh, strength coach, um, you know, and he came from the same small hometown of Elkhart that I did. He went to Fort Hay State, which is a Division II school out in Kansas, and then he got his start. Uh, his first full-time strength coaching job was at Rice. Um, I think he was a, a graduate assistant at Clemson, and then his first full-time job was at Rice. He went from Rice to Southern Cal. Uh, and he went from Southern Cal to the New England Patriots. Uh, and I think Raymond Berry was the head coach then, and uh, uh, maybe Don McPherson for a little bit. 
and then he went from uh, New England to the Cleveland Browns, and he went uh, to Cleveland with Bill Belichick when, when he first got there. Then he kind of survived that whole move from Cleveland to Baltimore and, and, and uh, was there in Baltimore under Ted Marchabota, and that's when I got hired there. But I was fortunate throughout my um, high school days, even my college days, I would always go help. Um, me and my younger brother would go help him during two days or in training camp, whether it be out at Southern Cal or at New England and at Cleveland. Um, well, at Cleveland, I got to know the special teams coach there very well. Um, my uncle pushed that I was a, let him know that I was a punter, and, and I got to work with him a lot, um, the special teams coach by the name of Scott O'Brien. And uh, we developed a relationship, and, and uh, you know, it, it still sticks to this day. What were your initial responsibilities on an NFL staff? Well, I was the assistant special teams coach and assistant strength and conditioning coach. You know, assistant special teams coaches at the time, there was only probably three or four of us in the league at the time. Now every team has one virtually, I think, maybe with the exception of one or two full-time assistant special teams coaches. But as a way for me to kind of get in the door, it was a dual role thing where um, I think it allowed me to help my uncle in the weight room and uh, be his assistant in there and then also be split my time uh, with special teams too. So uh, it was a good way, it was a good opportunity for me to get my foot in the door as a young guy. And, uh, you know, I'm very appreciative of that opportunity. Do you have a favorite moment, favorite game, favorite special teams play, anything in particular that stands out? One specific play, I guess, that that comes to mind was my first year here in 2003. We're playing uh, Kansas City. In Kansas City, I believe, was undefeated at the, at the time, and maybe like 9-0. and And uh, Dante Hall, uh, who was their returner, was had uh, an unbelievable season. I think he'd scored four times, maybe five. And he was trying to break the NFL record. And we almost gave it to him in the first half. Um, but we kind of flipped it. We kind of flipped it on him. And uh, in the second half, we played lights out on special teams, stopped him, um, and really took him out of the game. And then Peter Wart scored on a punt return which kind of blew the game open for us in, in, to win. So that was uh, obviously a very, very proud moment for me as a young coach. And maybe in my first year as the full-time guy, that was a, a pretty big moment for me. Final question for Darren Simmons. John Harbaugh went from NFL special teams coach to Super Bowl winning NFL head coach. Is head coach what you ultimately aspire to do? I think it. Uh, it's a good question. And, it is something that that I aspire to do. Um, you know, I, I think is the evolution of the way that special teams coaches are looked at has obviously changed. You know, it's. Uh, I think Frank Gans was one of the first guys um, that went from being a special teams coach to a head coach, and it didn't work out for him in Kansas City. Things did not go well, and uh, but now that John got his opportunity and has done with it what he has I, I think certainly over the past several years you're seeing more and more special teams coaches getting opportunities for interviews um, which is a big thing I, I like to get in that rat race too and, and get my uh, hand in there um, you know I, I think special teams coaches have uh, a little bit of an advantage because I get the opportunity to work with the entire team and, and I think that's a little bit what a head coach does he gets you have to um, understand the personalities in uh what makes each player tick and I think that uh, a special teams coach is the closest thing to what a head coach does do that so um, you know that, that that is certainly something that I would look forward to someday this has been fun you're off the hot seat thanks for the time great thank you Dan and that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast if you haven't done so already 
Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. And if you have a moment, please give it a rating or leave a comment. Your feedback's been great. And those five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast. Podcast.